Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers. Mandy Aftel is a world-renowned artisan perfumer and a wizard with aromatic essences. Vanity Fair has called her the Angel of Alchemy, while Vogue magazine has praised her as one of the fragrance industry's most creative thinkers. Aftel scours the world for the most exquisite ingredients and has developed scents for celebrities like musicians Lucinda Williams and Leonard Cohen. Mandy is also an extraordinary writer, and her new book is called Fragrant, The Secret Life of Scent. This book vibrates with her passion for scent and its connection to our most profound appetites and emotions. Telling the story of scent through five stars of the fragrant world, cinnamon, mint, frankincense, ambergris, and jasmine, Aftel blends history, culture, science, poetry, and philosophy with essentials of scent literacy. Laced with incredible anecdotes and electrifying details and supplemented with recipes for easy-to-make fragrances and edible and drinkable concoctions, fragrant is truly a delight to read on every Every single page. In my recent conversation with Mandy Aftel, I began by asking about her background here in Michigan. She grew up not too far away from us in Ann Arbor. Well, um, I, I grew up in I grew up in Detroit in Sherwood Forest, which uh, is near Palmer Woods, in, in actual Detroit. You know, I'm 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 um, I'm 66, so I grew up there. You know, a long time ago, kind of in the 50s, and then I went to college in Ann Arbor in the 60s. And it was fantastic. Um, you know, in Detroit, I grew up a kind of what would be considered more of a kind of suburban life, uh, but it was in the city. But it was, uh, you know, pretty, uh, you know, there were all these neighborhoods and people were kind of, you know, lived their lives in a sort of similar way. And then I, uh, and I always was kind of bohemian and uh, kind of a, a beatnik to a certain extent and then a hippie. And so, um, you know, I loved being in Ann, in Ann Arbor in the '60s. It was just, uh, it was so exciting uh, and so thrilling. The '60s in general, that period of time, and how it was in Ann Arbor, and I just really resonated with it and loved being there and have a real affection uh, for my life in Ann Arbor. Now, uh, what, what did you study here at the University of Michigan? Did I studied, you graduate? Uh, I studied English and psychology, and I got a master's in counseling psychology. And I had a career before I became a perfumer as a therapist for artists and writers. Um, and I did that in private practice. And I came to Berkeley with my then-husband in 1970. So I left Michigan when I graduated, came to Berkeley, California, and have stayed here ever since. Mm-hmm. And I would go back when my mother and father were alive. I would go back and visit them, but they're both deceased. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So what led you to this area of, of perfumes and scents? What what was it? Was there some event? Was there some catalyst? Was there some fragrance? What, what, what was this, Mandy, that got you into this area? Well, I, I back up a tiny bit to explain yeah. how I got there because it's an interesting story. Um, pretty much I've always kind of followed my nose in life anyways. Um, I had written a book called The Story of Your Life, and um, it was about s- stories and plot and narrative in psychotherapy because I realized when people were talking to me, they were always telling me a story from their life. So, And I like research. My very first book I wrote was on Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. and It was all based on 
uh, uh, original research into the Rolling Stones and interviewing people and so on. So I read all these books on plot. I was very interested in it. I wrote this book. And then I decided I'd like to write a novel because I had gotten so interested in storytelling and that I would make my main character a perfumer. So I got back into doing research. And I knew that uh, perfumes were mostly made from synthetics. And I was much more interested in botanical materials, you know, what I thought of as you know, natural, real materials. So I began to collect turn-of-the-century perfume books to do research for my novel which, by the way, never got written. And then I I took a class at a place that taught aromatherapy here in Northern California, and um, I went with a friend, and I wanted to do more research for my novel and make something, you know, smell things and make things. And in the class, it just uh, happened that I had a kind of talent for it. And... uh, it was, I, I just, you know, it's like an old, you meet somebody who feels like an old friend. I kind of understood how to work with the materials. And so my friend and I decided we would start a, a little perfume line together. And uh, we sold in uh, fancy department stores. And um, then that business kind of came to an end. And after that, um, I was very hooked. I loved the materials. I loved making the perfume. and uh, But I kind of thought I was bad at business. So the editor that I had done the Story of Your Life book for, uh, she said, well, why don't you write a book for me on natural aromatics, natural perfume? And by then, because I'm very obsessed when I'm interested in something, I had 200 turn-of-the-century books. Wow. wow. So it, And I had a lot of materials, you know, natural essences, and uh, and I had I'd, you know, stopped really having a business. So I thought, okay. So I started to work on this book, which was a book, I think three books back, called Essence and Alchemy. And the book kind of took off and, to a certain extent, started natural perfume in the world. And it got translated into ten languages and you know, lots um. of things happened. And I very slowly and timidly uh, kind of creeped back into having perfumes and a perfume line because I... I originally started out just making custom perfumes, one-of-a-kind perfumes for people. But the long and short of it was I fell in love with the process and the materials and kind of took over my life. And I gradually, you know, after being a therapist for 30 years, I stopped. Um, But, you know, I only stopped, I think, you know, not that long ago, maybe five years ago. I kept going with both of them as long as I could because I loved, I loved being a psychotherapist and I loved the perfume, but I couldn't do both. I ended up, you know, having a business and, uh, and I love my business and I ended up really loving uh, making a handmade product um, that made people's lives happier and more beautiful. I enjoyed that I do enjoy that part of my life, and I loved writing this book. Loved writing this book. I can tell it's that it is written so so passionately from start to finish. Oh. T- t- tell me, tell me, Mandy, what what is this with with fragrances? I'm, I'm by my uh, the linen closet here. I, I still have that. Yeah, throw it away. I don't, even though it's so insipid to my nose now. The patchouli that I wore in high school, oh, in yeah. college. The uh, I don't have it anymore, but you know, I had the, uh, oh, the, yeah. the provocatively shaped bottle of Pierre Cardin men's cologne that I thought was so masculine. Yeah. It's and, so and, interesting and, no, fragrance. You know, I mean, I it's just, so. It's just take. I can take a whip of that that patchouli yes. and 
I am 18 again. I'm 16 again. What is that with this? this well, sense you know, the, that's your, so your, your scent memories are so strong. And you know it's 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 kind of like music, but kind of almost music on steroids. You know, you hear a song and you remember like, you know, high school or college or someone you were involved with or whatever. Music can take you there. Scent can take you there in just a second. And also, even before um, you uh, are aware, you've smelt it. You've smelt it. <laughs> You know, you just smell it by breathing in, and it takes you back. Scent and memory are very connected in the old part of the brain called the limbic system. So um, whenever I do a custom perfume for someone, they always have memories as they smell things. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, you explore in your book the, these what, what, what you're calling these five major players in, in, in yeah. uh, of aroma here. T- tell me about these, and why did you select the, the, these to to really focus on in your book? Well, you know, I I love what I do, and I really, and I love what I work with, and I really feel like it's a jewel that's, you know, kind of hiding in plain sight. So I wanted to bring people to my world that I'm in all the time with these just fabulous, uh, beautiful uh, aromatics and the places that they can take you. So I chose these five because they're, Iconic, and because they're co- each one is connected to a different, very deep human appetite. So to go through them, the first one is cinnamon, and um, cinnamon is connected to the spice route, and it's connected to how uh, you know Columbus sailed around the world the wrong way to try to get cinnamon, and um, the, uh, all the spices were kind of more precious than gold, and people just traveled far and included them. In their lives, not cause, just because you know life might have been a bit more smelly then, but because they love the smells of spices, and so the the thought of including spices is to connect to that very deep human appetite for what's exotic, what's far away, what's little that we can bring back, what's luxurious, and spices to me were the symbol and the emblem of that kind of very deep kind of universal human experience. The next one is mint. And mint is a universal aroma of hospitality. And for each of these uh, aromas, kind of smelling them takes you there. So with mint, it's been used around the world as as a gesture of home and domesticity. It's literally what's underfoot. If you've ever had a garden and grown it, you know it just literally spreads like a weed. And then we do things when we bring people into our home to make them welcome with mint, for example, we give them a, a, a we give them a mint. We give them a chocolate mint. We uh, make mint tea. We give them a piece of gum. And what I discovered, which is really will kind of you know thrill you, is there was a huge mint industry in Michigan, which I, I had no idea. Yeah, tell, when, me, tell me about that. Well, when I started, you know, mint I kind of thought would be like the runt in there. I thought like. Mm, it's going to be not so interesting, but I want to include something green. I could not believe what I found out. There's a huge mint industry in Michigan, and there's a town that I think is now a ghost town called Minza in mm. Michigan. And it's just amazing. You know, I've seen these old photographs of these people, you know, kind of farming the mint there. They kind of look like ZZ Top. They look kind of terrific. And um, there, it, there was just a huge mint industry in, which grew into the toothpaste and gum industry that was rooted in Michigan. And also there were peddlers, hawkers and walkers, that were peddling things as people moved west across 
the United States across the prairies and came out west, and a lot of them had mint essential oil with them. And there were these very interesting books, which included recipes for drinks and recipes uh, for hard candies and stuff, which included essential oil of mint. So it's very typically American and very typically about home. And you can read about it uh, in that chapter of the book, and it's just wonderful. And it's also the smell of what's authentic and, and home and around and kind of the opposite of cinnamon. Um, the next, the next uh, aroma in the book is frankincense, which is really uh, the smell and the experience of transcendence and spirituality. Frankincense has been kind of uh, a, a real kind of rock star in so many spiritual traditions, and you know, including that it's still used in the Catholic Church today, and it was what they brought to baby Jesus. And it's this wonderful kind of lifeblood of this a uh, very exotic tree that's a kind of forlornish looking tree and if you scrape the tree with something like a putty knife the frankincense kind of comes up and beads on the tree and you scrape it off like like crystals and then it can be burned and it can be made into incense and the whole world of incense you know a lot of people do burn incense now and often it has frankincense in it and it was thought that God not only smelled good, but liked good smells. And so the, the coils of incense smoke were supposed to be the path to heaven. So this is very, very deep, interesting human things that came out of these smells that I think um, when you smell them, if you know these stories, it allows you to not only appreciate them, but appreciate your life so much more. Mm-hmm. That's Frank. Should I, should I go on to the next two? Yeah, please, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the next one is, um, the next the next smell is ambergris, which is that chapter, the chapter focusing on ambergris, is all about animal aromatics. So it's about us as animals, humans as animals, about dogs, skunks, about perfume materials that come from animals. And the kind of pinnacle of all that is ambergris, which is whale, sperm whale poop, to be exact, sperm whale food. And uh, the, the sperm whale eats, they believe, cuttlefish, which upsets his digestive tract some, sometimes. And he gets this mass inside of him, and he has to get it out because it can kill him. So it comes out, and it tosses on the, on, the, uh, on the waters until it gets washed up on the beach and people find it. And I don't know if you saw that interesting story uh, about uh, the couple in uh, Streaky Bay, Australia, who were at the beach, and um, they found this kind of 30-pound lump on the beach, basically. And, um, you know, they had kind of an argument about whether they should put it in the car or leave it there. One one of them was interested, the other one wasn't. So they left it there, then it kind of haunted and obsessed them, so they drove back like a week or so later, and it was still there. So they hauled it off, they put it in the car, they called a marine biologist. Turns out it was a piece of ambergris that was worth a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and ambergris is this very, it's like a pumice stone. It's like quite light. It can be, you know, large or small, but it's light in weight. And it's got this very ambery, shimmery smell. And as it's tossed on the waters and ages and it is, you know, bleached by the sun, it changes its smell. It's it's just kind of magic. So that chapter is all about the human appetite for wonder and for curiosity and for odd things, which are reached a lot through our sense of smell. So there's some 
very other little interesting facts like tiger markings are called Viagra. I found such interesting mm. little facts. I mean, the, the book has got so many interesting little facts and stories that make this very rich world kind of come alive to people. So the last, the last aromatic in the book, the fifth one, is jasmine, which is all about the human appetite for beauty, how much we need and want beauty in our lives. And um, jasmine is a very, very beautiful smell, but it also stands for um, perfume in the perfume industry. Jasmine has been used forever in perfume. And one of the things I discovered in researching my book is this very wonderful Japanese uh, philosophy, if you will, about beauty called wabi-sabi, which is about things that age and disappear and are imperfect and finding the beauty in that, which is some of what I feel I do when I you know, hand-create my perfumes because they don't last. You smell them for a while and then they disappear. Natural perfumes don't last that long and they're made with ingredients that you kind of like cooking that sometimes you can get and other times you can't. So it's this whole impermanence idea and how beautiful that can be that I focused on in the Jasmine chapter. And that's kind of, in a tiny nutshell, what the whole book's about. Let's finish by going back. You touched on the, this uh, the, on uh, hawkers and walkers. And hawkers and walkers, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned this one person in particular who you said settled in here in Ann Arbor, this uh, person, Dr. Dr. Chase. Yeah, tell us about Dr. Chase. Oh, he was so interesting. Oh, my God, he's from Michigan. And you can still, like, you can find his book on eBay, Dr. Chase's handbook. He was like, I think, uh, I'm not positive I have this exactly right, but I think he was like second to the Bible. He made like this absolute fortune. And the book is fascinating. Um, I think it was kind of an all-purpose uh, remedy, making bitters, making candy, baking, um, health problems with your animals kind of book. And he travels around. He got recipes from people, and he put them together, and he traveled as kind of a peddler and sold this book, which, you know, was incredibly successful. And he managed, I can't remember exactly how, but I know I have it in the book, to both make a lot of money and lose it. And his book has this, you know, odd thing like toad ointment, which you boil toads. I mean, some stuff is very real, and there's some very interesting remedies and very interesting drinks and so on in there. You know, kind of you can see how they would work and how to make ink and stuff. And then he has, you know, the toad remedy. So it's fascinating <laughs> reading. Absolutely yeah, he's fascinating. Got, yeah, and he's got something called such coffee as well. Yes. Oh, my God, and you have to make it with soot, which was just fantastic. And you can find it around. You know, it was really popular. And it's just that kind of amalgam of practical and strange and somewhat magical uh, things all wrapped into one, which is a little bit what I think of, you know, the essential oils and the natural aromatics. They just have this fascinating history to them besides being beautiful. (laughs) 